Right now in America, one in 10 people are currently in recovery from drug or alcohol addiction. And of those, some 50 to 90% will relapse at some point in their lives. Because of the power of addiction, many of them will never regain their recovery. Hi, I'm Ron Chapman. I'm an alcoholic with three decades of sustained sobriety. If there's one thing I know about substance abuse recovery, it's that recovery is always a work in progress. Progressive recovery is a commitment to continuously moving forward every day to strengthen one's recovery. Progressive recovery is a commitment to continuously moving forward every day to strengthen one's recovery. Recovery isn't just about learning how to not use. It's about the willingness to tackle the underlying issues that trigger using in the first place. Welcome to Progressive Recovery. People sharing stories from their daily fight for sobriety. Welcome to Progressive Recovery. This is Ron Chapman. I'm absolutely delighted to have a chance to introduce you to Kevin Griffin, uh, who is known for his book, One Breath at a Time, as well as a pretty extensive Buddhist practice. He's agreed to talk to us a little bit today about his book, about his perspective on the 12 steps, and to bring you some experience, strength, and hope. Kevin, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Ron. Pleasure. What is it that you've discovered about one breath at a time and why it seems to be with its Buddhist angle. I mean, it's still based on the 12 steps, our, our sort of common pathway. But Kevin, it gets such good traction um, with so many who break out of the sort of conventional approaches. What is it about this that causes it to resonate so much with folks from your point of view? Well, that, I appreciate you saying that. I, I th- uh, that makes me think that I succeeded at doing what I was trying to do, which was um, really kind of demystify several things, demystify the 12 steps, which I think sometimes the language of the 12 steps uh, confuses people or else just alienates them. So I wanted to make the 12 steps uh, more accessible and really kind of more down to earth, like what, what does that really mean and how, how does that play out in our lives? And I wanted to demystify meditation for sure, which I know a lot of people have, uh, I would say, confused ideas about it or sort of exotic ideas of what it means. And, and I wanted to make it more accessible for people. Of course, I wanted to bring Buddhist teachings and partly, yeah, demystify Buddhism, if you will, but to what I've found in Buddhism is there is the practical tools for living and for understanding life, understanding our experience in a way that's really relevant, that, that isn't based in some mysticism or some future life or some past life, although, of course, Buddhism has that. But, you know, to me, that's not the heart of it, was, is really the, the ways that Buddhism can really speak to our daily lives. And, you know, and, it, and Buddhism, you know, as we know, turns out to have this sort of surprising resonance in modern, the, the West, in, in our modern world. And, and partly that's just because of the timeless quality of it. But it's also that, that the, the Buddha was speaking to issues which we understand through our experience, particularly the issue of uh, materialism and seeking happiness through sensual pleasure and acquisition 
you know, because our culture is so abundant, we're able to see past the illusion that uh, getting rich, for instance, would solve our problems. Those are three things to demystify those three things. But then obviously, it all comes back to addiction and the fact that what the Buddha was talking about can be defined as addiction, its cause, and, its, and the recovery. The Four Noble Truths are about suffering, which is what addiction is. They're about clinging, the Second Noble Truth, which is what you know, causes addiction. They're about letting go, which is how we end addiction. And they're at a pa- about a path to recover from addiction, the, the Eightfold Path, which is the Fourth Noble Truth. So you know, his core teaching doesn't have to be adapted in any way. It is pure recovery. It is pure addiction. And, and it actually surprises me that more Dharma teachers don't, don't feel comfortable speaking about that. Um, you know, the, the, people somehow seem to think that I'm teaching something else, like some <laughs> subset of Buddhism or, you know, some like, kind of niche thing. And what I'm teaching is Dharma pure and simple. You know, I told you I was going to ramble, so here we go. I'll <laughs> tell you one short briefly. Yeah. I taught a retreat in Portland, Oregon uh, some years ago, and one of the hosts, was, it was for a Zen center, and one of the host Zen masters sat through the whole weekend. And at the end of the weekend, what he said to me is, I'm surprised how much you, you know about Buddhism. You know, I thought this, this was more going to be just about addiction and you know, recovery. And and I didn't realize you really had such an extensive knowledge of the Dharma. Uh, And I was obviously very flattered by that, but it, but it's really, that's where I'm at. You know, Hmm. I don't see Dharma and recovery as two separate things. Hmm. So that made me think, because one of the things I, I had mentioned to you was how much of a refuge this approach, this Buddhist approach with one breath at a time seems to agree with people. Uh, and as you were just talking, I, I, I mean, I just got to wondering, is, is it the fact that you've sort of demystified this whole deal and, and that you've really written a very practical tools based in some cases, um, you know, practice here for us? I mean, do you hear that often that people kind of take refuge in this as a, well, I know sometimes it's an escape from um, other places that they haven't had good experiences. So, or is it really just the fundamental truth within the Buddhist path that everybody's not everybody, but the folks are so attracted to. What's the what's the well, attraction? Yeah, yeah. I I think that what you, the first thing you said. I I do think people don't always use the language of refuge, but there's definitely a very common theme in what people say to me, which is, when I found your book, I was able to work the steps. Hmm. I was able to feel comfortable in a 12-step program. It made everything clear to me, you know, all of that. And so that goes back to another aspect of what I was trying to do in this book, which was use the, the tool or the, the, you know, the, the approach of 12-step recovery, which is sharing <laughs> and mm-hmm. sharing our stories, mm-hmm. our experience, strength, and hope, as you said, as a way of talking about these things, not addressing it as on some lofty level or theoretical level, or even in 
purely traditional Buddhist terms, talking about emptiness or clinging or, you know, kind of, you know, people can get all caught up in the heady aspects of Dharma. But I wanted to make it really about real people's lives, about my life, about your life, about, about the life of the reader. And, and the way you do that, and the, the reason I structured the book the way I did uh, around stories is that that's how, that's how you touch people with stories. And, you know, I have a background as a, in creative writing and narrow, you know, writing fiction, which I have not published, sadly. But, you know, that, that was uh, natural for me anyway. But it fits with the 12 steps. When you go to a meeting, you hear people's stories. And what draws you in is that you relate. You know, it's not that somebody's sitting up there giving you a lecture. You know, somebody's telling about their experience, strength and hope. And you go, wow, that sounds kind of like me, or I can't really relate to that. I need to go to another meeting, whatever. But we hear, it's the stories that, that draw us in. And that's what I wanted to do with the book. So. Hmm. so I guess that reinforces the idea that there's an accessibility factor there that when you again use the word demystify, and yet there's something too about even the, the more Buddhist content you include in the, the meditation guidance and relevant practices. I guess I'm surprised by how receptive people are to those, mm. which I guess is a reflection of either the accessibility or something else about how you package this. Do you hear this often that people are ready and able and willing to embrace some of the practices, especially the meditation? Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's obviously one of the things that draws people to my work as well. And I will just mention that I have four other books besides One Breath at a Time, so not to <laughs> absolutely overplug. But yeah. um, and the second one is about higher power, so that's something that people often mm. uh, find helpful. I, a part of what happened with this book is that it arrived at the right time, and uh, you know, mm. uh, as we know, timing is really important with just uh, cultural events. And it, you know, I got sober in 1985, and and if I'd have published this book in 1986, which <laughs> would have been a bit presumptuous, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't think there was an audience for it then. Mm -hmm. The thing is that because of the mindfulness movement, particularly, mm -hmm. and the, just the growth of Buddhism in the West, it's grown and grown and grown over these decades. I mean, I started to practice in 1980, and it was mostly a countercultural community at that point. And now it's uh, a mainstream community. So uh, 2004, when the book came out, I think the larger culture was ripe for it and the recovery culture as well. The recovery culture has changed and grown. And there's, I think, at least in, in the, the, with the people that I encounter, and I, I know this isn't true everywhere, but to an extent, there is a, an opening up, just as your, the title of your podcast, Progressive Recovery, there's an opening up to, you know, new ideas and broader ideas, which is encouraged in the 12-step literature. So uh, it's, it's not that we're um, breaking away from that tradition, but rather that we're expanding on the, the, found, the ideas of the founder uh, to, to explore our spirituality. One of the other things that I, I think you wanted to talk about is just the, the change in our culture, the religious culture of America, mm -hmm. if you will, you know, that in 1935, we were largely seen as a Protestant culture, and that, you know, in 2004 and 2018, that we're not anymore. Uh, you know, that's 
large segment, but you know, a lot of people are looking for something outside the traditional religious, you know, Western religious traditions. And a lot of people have been either just lost interest in or even alienated or even harmed uh, by the teachings or even individuals. Obviously, this happens in all religions, including Buddhism, that people get harmed by individual leaders. Mm-hmm. But but I think mostly that kind of alienation from, you know, the kind of uh, fundamentalist faith you know, structure of mm-hmm. um, Western religion, as people get alienated from that, they get somewhat adrift. And, that, and then you get sober and you look at these steps and like God and, you know, <laughs> higher power and turning it over. And what does all that mean? And I, I don't believe in all that stuff. So now what do I do? You know, and many people say, you know, talk about their struggles with how to deal with that language and deal with the steps. And, and that was another, of course, significant impulse uh, in, my, in my writing was to try to make that language accessible uh, to, to someone who's not, uh, you know, really working with that or able to work with uh, Judeo-Christian language. Mm-hmm. So it, it occurred to me I'd be remiss if I didn't ask a, a question I hadn't anticipated until this moment. But so, I mean, you, got a, you, you have a practice, you teach, you have a meditation practice, you've written other books. But what I'm, what I'm curious is in writing this book about the 12 steps and the things that it's precipitated, has that come back to reinforce and or alter your perspective on, on your 12-step practice? Yeah, yeah, it has. You know, as I was writing One Breath at a Time, and and this is true of everything I write, but it was particularly true of that book, I was learning a tremendous amount Mm. because I had to ask myself questions that I had never asked before. Uh, It's one thing to kind of work the steps with a sponsor or even write things down, but to have to write a chapter on each of the steps and try to connect it to Buddhism... I had not really figured that all out before I wrote it. And, and frankly, I, I don't really trust or particularly like books where the author has figured it all out before they write it. I think that, I think that writing, writing is a creative experience and it's something where you learn. And if you're not learning as you're doing it, then you're just sort of a boring lecturer. So I learned a lot about the steps and I continue to learn about the steps and in dialogue with students, I learn as people bring up topics and questions and issues and ask for help and guidance, maybe with something that I haven't had to deal with. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm forced back on myself and my own uh, experience and my own uh, capacity to, you know, to empathize and to intuit how to respond. So um, absolutely, my, my program uh, has changed to the point that uh, I actually at times will describe my practice as something that I do at times entirely through a meditative process. I'm not sure I have time to describe all of that, but I will say that sitting down I to meditate, one of the first things I recognize is that I'm powerless over my mm. mind and the thoughts coming up as well as my body. And then that by by doing this practice, I'm turning it over, and that there's a kind of 
inventory that happens as I meditate. And th with that inventory, I have to let it go and step, do step six and seven. So you can see that, so that, that's kind of something that's evolved somewhat unintentionally. It just evolved. Uh, and I, I became aware of it at a certain point. But uh, that's certainly one example of how this is, how my program has changed. Well, that is, uh, and that's really brilliant. Um, I don't suppose you've written that book yet, have you, about meditation? Uh, it's probably, it might be in some, one of my books. I, yeah. I can't always remember what I write. <laughs> um, my workbook, uh, I might talk about it in my workbook. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, because the, the, uh, what, what that caused me to think about is since the 12 steps tend to have such good traction with people in recovery of all kinds, that as soon as you as soon as you weave, um, it, as soon as you embed those twelve steps in your meditation practice, my guess is it immediately makes sense to people who are very step based, and yeah. makes it a makes it a a bridge to 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 approach meditation differently. So that's a, that's a very well framed, Kevin. Right, and it's interesting because in the the steps, meditation only shows up at step eleven. Right. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you go back after getting there, if, if you will, uh, if you go back and then start to apply it, as we do, I mean, obviously, we practice, we go through the steps over and over. Uh, I, I'm not, no, I'll, I'll complete that sentence. As we go back, then we can kind of re-experience and, you know, rework the steps in this, in this other way, in this more contemplative way. Mm -hmm. And, but I will say that, I don't, um, I'm not a big, as much as I'm a, an, an author writer, I'm not big on writing stuff with the steps. Hmm. Um, I'm mostly interested in, in the steps becoming internally integrated because I actually think that if we constantly externalize the steps, uh, that can give us a false sense of having worked them. Mm. Because I think what working the steps really means is that they become part of who we are, that we become someone who is who turns it over, that we become someone who is taking inventory, who is making amends, who is trying to let go. It's not that we have to stop everything and write down, oh, I did this and I need to, you know, I'm going to ask God to remove that and uh, now I'm going to make amends for that. That is very mechanical to me and, and it doesn't really get to the heart of the of recovery which is an internal experience but i'll say that's me you know i i i've never intended i've never set out to create the kevin griffin 12-step program mm -hmm. and i i'm a little skeptical of some of the buddhists who have done that for me, the, tw the 12 steps worked for me. So I never felt like, oh, uh, now I'm integrating them with Buddhism. I never felt like, oh, now I need to create something that's not the 12 steps, that's just Buddhist. But, but what I was trying to get at is, I think at some point, people have to find, understand, and to some extent, create their own program. That is not to say that in the beginning, people should not attempt to do that. <laughs> in the beginning, people should work the program that they're told to work because in the beginning, you don't know what you're doing. But it, well, I'm talking about the five-year, 10-year mark when people mm -hmm. start to get, you know, their life has really changed 
and maybe they're not going to seven meetings a week and, and maybe they're trying to figure out and maybe now they've, you know, having kids or they're, you know, their life has expanded and they're, you know, they're drifting away as people do from the, or the beginning stages of their recovery. And there's this question, well, well, how, how am I supposed to work a program now? And it's, it doesn't do any good to go back and work the program you worked when you were 30 days sober, because mm-hmm. that's not who you are anymore. You, you're, you're, your program has to keep, you have to keep reinventing it, I think. And, and that doesn't mean alone. You know, mm-hmm. there are lots of resources. I'm here, you know, to help you do that. But I, that's partly what I, how I view my, my work. Uh, I never really thought that newcomers were going to read my book. I didn't write it for newcomers. I actually wrote it for people who were down the road in their recovery and ready to take further steps. Hmm. So, you know, that interesting enough, that sets up the, the, the perfect closing question for you, because I, I loved when you were talking about um, integrating or internalizing, I think were two words you used. For the purpose of our, liver, our listeners, many of whom, um, you know, they're, they're very, very interested in your work here, what tips might you have as a result of your practice for them specifically to, to move them towards this internalization of the, of the steps, the principles of the steps, the, the deepening practice, um, sort of the practical things that can help nudge them in that direction, Kevin? It's nothing surprising, but that you know, meditation and you know, really engaging in, well, first of all, engaging in, in, in serious meditation practice to get to a point where you really start to open up, where the mind starts to quiet a bit and the kind of awakening clarity comes. It takes more than a 20-minute sit in the morning, you know. I mean, the 20-minute sit is really important. I mean, the daily practice, and if you can do more than 20 minutes, great. One element of meditation that you just can't uh, create any other way, and that is the element of time. You have to put in the time, and the more time you put in, the deeper you go. It's a fairly simple formula. Um, That, to me, is the key. And you know, and further is just, you know, study. Um, there's tremendous resources out there in terms of books. There's tremendous uh, recorded resources. Uh, if people are interested in hearing some of my talks, there's a website called Dharma Seed, D-H-A-R-M-A-S-E-E-D.org. There's many, many Buddhist teachers on there. It's for insight meditation. Uh, there's over 150 of my talks on there. So I think the point is, is for me, is you're, you're pointing your life, you're directing your life towards your spiritual practice. That your life is your spiritual practice. And so, you know, there's study, there's practice, there's reflection. And it's practicing these principles in all our affairs. I mean, that's, that's the essence of it. If we're trying to, you know, keep our recovery or our practice or our program as like some compartment in our life, it's never going to have the, you know, the intended effect. Uh, we, have to, we have to make this central. 
and and be the guiding principle, just as you said, the refuge in our life. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not exactly a tip, you know, <laughs> like do the work, you know, it's the same thing as the program, you know, it works if you work it. Uh, and uh, meditation works if you work it, it doesn't work. There isn't like a special mantra that you're going to get that's going to like send you to the moon, you know, it's just the nitty gritty daily work of sitting down, watching your mind, watching your feelings, you know, and, and learning how to hold all that in the space. Of, of heart, of mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good nudge for folks who listen to, uh, to, to, to do the work, as you say. And yeah. I, I really appreciate you making, making time, Kevin. I know you got a, got a busy life and things to do, but uh, for the benefit of our listeners and for my benefit for having a chance to chat with you, just thank you for your work and thanks for taking time. And we'll keep, uh, we will post information about all your other books when we put this up there. And, you mentioned, too, that One Breath at a Time is now available at Audible as an audio download. So that's a wonderful yeah. contribution. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Yeah, it was great to talk to you, Ron, and, uh, and uh, a pleasure. Uh, I, I really, when I saw the title of your podcast, I was very pleased because it's a term that I've used to describe what I do, that mm-hmm. I have a, a progressive approach to recovery. So. Well, we're on the same page there. And I heard that loud and clear in your remarks about, uh, about how the, the, the program you used to work probably ain't going to work today because it has to yeah. be. And so very well said. That's right. Thanks, Kevin. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Progressive Recovery, which is available at ProgressiveRecovery.org as well as on iTunes.